Let's get right into our our message tonight. Um, I'm going to be preaching tonight and next Wednesday night. And on November 4th, on Sunday evening, Pastor asked me to preach. And I'm going to preach a mini-series, three messages concerning uh, different attributes of faith. And tonight I'm going to begin by talking about the provisions of faith And those things that, by virtue of faith, that are provided for the believer, for the child of God. Uh, Faith is a subject that we've studied many times. Uh, I know I, when I taught the adult class, many of you were in that class. We did an entire series of lessons on faith. I think it was something like 24 or 25 lessons on faith. Pastor Smith has taught many series of lessons on faith, and it's a very common subject uh, matter to preach on and is faith, but um, we've covered this this very well. But tonight, and for the next couple of, of of times that we we come together, I would like to look at our faith from a slightly different point of view. I, I'll begin tonight by looking, as I said, at the provisions of our faith. That is, I want to look at the things that we have. And the things that we have received because of the faith that God has given us. And this is something very important for you and I to remember as children of God that we have no faith of our own. The faith that we have was given to us by God himself. In Romans chapter 12 and verse 3 we read, For I say through the grace given unto me. You might want to circle that word given there. To every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. And here we see in verse 3 of Romans chapter 12 that Paul tells us that God has given us a measure of faith. In Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8, We read, for by grace are ye saved through faith. But Paul expounds on that and he says, and that not of yourselves. In other words, the faith that we have been given is not our faith. It's not, it doesn't generate from us. It doesn't, it doesn't, it's not initiated by us. He says, not that not of yourselves, it, and that article it there is referring to faith. It is the gift of of God. How arrogant it is for men to believe uh, that men who are spiritually dead, by the way, how arrogant it is for us to believe that we could possibly possess faith in God. Paul says in scripture, but by, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. I'm nothing I am nothing without God. I am nothing without the grace of God. And certainly, I am incapable of possessing faith unless that faith be granted and given to me by God. In Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6, we read, But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. It's impossible for you and I to please God 
without faith. And it's impossible for us to possess faith without God. So God gave us the faith. He gave you and I the faith to believe. He gave us the faith to turn to him. Now, time restrictions do not allow me to address every provision of faith that God has given to us. Therefore, I had to choose what I would discuss tonight and in these brief sessions that we'll have. So allow me to share for you tonight, Lord willing, four of the provisions of our faith. Four of our, our, the, the provisions that you and I have by virtue of the faith given us by God. Number one, because of the faith God has given us, we have repentance toward God. Repentance toward God. In, in, in studying this, this week and, and doing some research, I came across a couple of quotes by some Bible commentators. And the first one is uh, a, a, a statement written by John Calvin in his paper Institutes. Um, and it goes like this. Calvin says, Can true repentance exist without faith? By no means. But although they cannot be separated, they ought to be distinguished. So we understand that we could have no repentance without faith. The two cannot exist apart from each other. And, and we, read the, uh, we read that same statement in a, in a, uh, a book uh, on systematic theology where we read, Moreover, true repentance never exists except in conjunction with faith. While on the other hand, wherever there is true faith, there is also real repentance. The two are different or the two are but different aspects of the same turning, a turning away from sin in the direction of God. The two cannot be separated. They are simply complementary parts of the same process. So from these quotes tonight we can see that repentance is a direct byproduct of our faith. A faith that we did not work to receive, and a faith that we did not earn by our own merit. Rather, it is a faith that was given to us, measured to us, as the scripture states. It is a faith that is perfect and complete for us. Our ability to repent is the first provision of our faith that I wish to explore tonight. What exactly is accomplished in the life of the believer by his repentance. Well, let me, let me share a couple of thoughts with you here. First, we repent from sin. As we read in the quotes we, just a moment ago, it's, it's a turning. Repentance is a turning. It's a turning. It's a turning from sin in the direction of God. In Matthew chapter 9, Verses 12 and 13 we read, But when Jesus heard that, he said unto them, They that be whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. But go ye and learn what that meaneth. I will have mercy and not sacrifice, for I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And of course, these these Pharisees that Jesus is addressing here were so haughty and so arrogant, they didn't view themselves as sinners, they viewed themselves as righteous men. And Jesus informs them, I didn't come here to cater to the righteous. I came here to turn sinners to repentance. This change was evidenced by the statement made by Zacchaeus 
after his conversion. You might remember, all of you remember the story of Zacchaeus. He was a, a wee little man. We sing that song with the children. And Zacchaeus was small of stature, and as Jesus walked by, the crowds lined the street, and he couldn't see him. So he ran ahead and, and found a sycamore tree, and Zacchaeus climbed into that sycamore tree so he could see Jesus as he passed by. And as Jesus passed by, he called Zacchaeus down out of that tree and said, Come down, Zacchaeus, today I must dine in thine house, for salvation has come to you. And we see this in the life of Zacchaeus. What did he do? What, what, effect did, what effect did salvation have on him? What effect did the faith that Jesus gave Zacchaeus? Now remember, Zacchaeus was a publican. He was a tax collector. But he wasn't just any tax collector. He was, he was a tax collector who was in charge of a large area. And he was, a, he was the head tax collector. He was the big cheese. But Zacchaeus fell under conviction, and, 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 and God quickened him and, and made him alive, and he was saved. He was born again. And Zacchaeus determined in his heart to turn from the sin in his life. And in Luke chapter 19 and verse 8, we read, And Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him and trust me, he had taken much by false accusation. And Zacchaeus turned from sin. And this work of faith in his life caused him to turn from sin. You see, Jesus imparted faith unto Zacchaeus. This faith is the work of God's grace. And this faith led Zacchaeus to repentance. And here we see him now repentant of his sinful works. And tonight I must state how shameful it is when we, God's children, after receiving this great work of faith, continue to go forward in the works of the flesh rather than repent of these, of these sinful works. I put no confidence, I put no trust in a conversion when the individual involved is not changed in his heart. When that individual can continue to walk in darkness, can continue to, to do things that ought not be done, that ought not be named among the children of God. I, I have no confidence in a conversion like that. Because, as we read earlier, true repentance never exists except in union, in conjunction with faith. And when a man is truly repentant he will he will turn from the sin in his life but not only did does this repentance accomplish in our lives a, a, a turning from sin but secondly we see a repentance unto salvation in acts chapter 3 in verse 19 in the first half of the verse we read repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out now, there is an end to God's purpose in our repentance. And that end is our salvation. It is our conversion. And without this repentance, no man may be saved. And we see this in Luke chapter 13 and verse 3 where Jesus states, I tell you, nay, but except ye repent... 
ye shall all likewise perish. There is no salvation without repentance. Now don't miss this. You are saved tonight, if you are, because of your repentance toward God. But your repentance toward God is the result of faith in God. However, your faith in God is the result of God's work in your heart, not any work of of ourselves. By the regeneration, by the quickening of your soul, by the Holy Spirit. It is God's doing, and it is marvelous to behold. We are elected, we are elect unto eternal life by and through the sovereign will of God the Father. Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 2, he states, Elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace unto you and peace be multiplied. So Peter most definitely states that we are, we are saved, we are chosen unto redemption through the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit unto obedience. So, so we're elect, we're, we're, we're chosen to be saved unto a purpose. And that purpose is that we might glorify God in our life and in all that we do. Listen, we're not here. I got no problem with a man working and earning wages and buying nice houses and nice cars and, and all those things. I think, I think we, we, we should do as much as we can to live as comfortably as possible. But, folks, that's not why we're here. Because Paul stated very clearly that we're going to die and what we, we're not bringing anything with us. From the dust we came and from the dust we'll return. And, and those things that so many people strive for and so many people invest their energy and their effort into, someone else one day will have all those things. You're not taking them with you. Like the old saying goes, I've never seen a U-Haul attached to a hearst. You can't take anything with you. However, remember, you can send an awful lot of things ahead of you by love by our labors of love for Christ, by, by, by our kindness to one another. Remember Jesus said, if you offer a cup of cold water to a, a person in, in his name. So we can, we can send things ahead, but we're not taking anything with us. So we need to remember these things, that our purpose in life is not to become famous or wealthy. It's not even to worry about how healthy I am. I think of Bill Adams. Bill Adams brought more glory to the name of God in his death than he did in his life. And he would be the first to stand here tonight and tell you that. You see, we are, we are here to glorify God. So first tonight, we see that our faith, which was given to us by God, provides us with the ability to believe and repent. But secondly, tonight... I want you to see that our faith makes it possible for us to receive remission of sin. I'd like for you to take your Bibles with me and let's turn together to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3. 
And we'll read beginning at verse 21. Romans chapter 3, beginning at verse 21. We read here, But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There isn't a one of us sitting here tonight who, cannot, who can claim that we had or have no sin. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God, the expectation of God. Verse 24, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God to declare, I say at this time, his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. I want you to look closely at verse 25. Paul stated in Romans 3.25 that the substitutionary act of Christ Jesus completely satisfied the penalty of sin. We see here that God has set him forth to be a propitiation through faith. Does anybody know what the word propitiation means? It means to substitute. It also means to complete the action of another. You and I cannot, we we have no hope of redemption. There's no good in me. There's nothing I can do to be redeemed from my sin. So God sent his son Jesus as my propitiation. Jesus stepped in and did what I could not do to gain the victory for me, through his, through his work. That's, that's what he did. Now, remission, by definition, by the definition in the dictionary, by definition in human terms, remission is defined as the postponement of punishment of a convicted criminal. And that's, if you look in a dictionary, that's what it's going to tell you. That is the postponement of the punishment of a convicted criminal. However... This definition given in, the, in accordance with the spiritual application surrounding our remission of sin is not adequate. There has not simply been a postponement of the wages of sin, which, by the way, according to Romans chapter 3, are, are death and hell. There isn't a postponement. In other words, Jesus didn't just postpone my, the penalties of sin in my life. There has been through the remission we have in Christ Jesus and through his substitutionary work, there has been complete satisfaction of the wages of sin. So when we talk about, in a spiritual sense, when we talk about remission, we are talking about the complete satisfaction of our sin debt. Completely paid. 
Paul, as I stated earlier, said in Romans 3.25 that this work of Jesus Christ completely satisfied the justice of God. God's, God's justice is completely satisfied with me through the blood of Christ, through the substitutionary work of Jesus. By the way, it did not erase our sin. It satisfied God's justice. His shed blood was the expiation or the atonement for our sin. Therefore, you and I stand before God justified under the blood of Jesus Christ. Now let me share some thoughts with you here concerning the depth of this remission of sin. First, letter A, it is the condonation of our culpability. Now that's big fancy words that means it's the pardon for our guilt. But P and G don't match and so I had to come up with two words with C. So it's the condemnation of culpability. Simply stated, the remission of our sins is the pardoning of our guilt. And this pardon is not due to any good in us. God did not look upon us and, and see something worth saving and decided to pardon us. That's not the case at all. We were vile in his sight. Yet for, the, for his love for his son and for the purpose of his own glorification, he has forgiven us. It is accomplished by the perfect gift of God, the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. In Hebrews 9:28, we read, So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. Not without his sin, because he had no sin, but he'll appear to us without sin. Unto, his own, unto our salvation. So first, in this remission, the depth of this remission of sin, we, we have the condemnation of our culpability, the pardon of our guilt. But secondly, it is the satisfaction of our sentence. Hebrews 9.27 tells us, And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. My old grandpa used to, used to always tell me, boy, there's two things you can't get around, death and taxes. Well, there's a third thing you can't get around, and that's judgment. Every man will die. It is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, a judgment. Romans 6.23 tells us, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And here we see that remission of sin has satisfied the sentence of death for the believer. God has imposed a sentence for sin. That sentence is eternal separation from God in the lake of fire. But this payment must be made and it has been made. It has been made through Christ for all who believe. His suffering and death at Calvary satisfied the wages of sin. So not, but not only do we see the pardon of our guilt, not only do we see the satisfaction of our sentence, but thirdly, it is the recompense of our ransom. 1 Timothy chapter 2, we read in verses 5 and 6, Paul states, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom 
for all to be testified in due time. Now sometimes I believe the the simplicity of these things causes us to forget them. Sometimes I think we we go through our lives and consider our salvation and we forget about all these all these little minor all these little minuscule points that breaks down the whole truth of our of our redemption. But if we truly believe them and if we know the great love and sacrifice that caused Jesus to die on the cross then I ask you this how could we possibly live our life with any other purpose than to please and glorify him. I mean, if you wrap your mind around all these things, then what, what could possibly occupy your interest other than to bring glory and honor to the name of our Savior Jesus Christ? Doesn't this merit our complete love? And doesn't this merit our complete service unto him? Are we justified to give ourselves to any other thing in life other than to live our life in such a manner to walk worthy of he who has called us? Faith has given us repentance toward God. Faith has given us remission of sin. Then number three tonight, faith has imparted to us and it's provided us with reconciliation with God. Now the definition of reconciliation is the reestablishing of relationships. And remember, we as natural men were alienated from God by our sinful nature. There was no possible way by our own merit. There is no possible way for us to be reconciled to God while we exist in this natural state of man as a sinner. However, the faith that God has measured to us leads us to repentance and remission of sin. And this provides us with the means whereby to be reconciled to God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 through 19, we read, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. To wit, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed us unto the word of reconciliation. Now, notice that Paul tells us that God has reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ. Also notice in in, in the passage we just read, the phrase, the ministry of reconciliation. Now, what exactly does this mean? Well, once again, I'll refer to some commentary notes by by John Gill with reference to this ministry of reconciliation. Gill writes, And have given to us the ministry of reconciliation, which is the gospel of peace, the word which preaches, publishes, and declares, peace made by the blood of Christ, which is a gift to ministers and a blessing to the people. 
the free grace of God greatly appears in this matter. God the Father sets this work of reconciliation to foot. Christ brought it about. And the ministers of the gospel, that's you and I, publish it. So God has given us this ministry, this, this work of reconciliation that we are to share with all those around us. What a great joy and what a great truth it is to know that we have been reconciled to God. Those of us who were at odds with, the God, with God, were, were, could not approach God because of our sin, we have, been, we have been given this reconciliation and this work of reconciliation. Now, given this, allow me to share some thoughts with you about this ministry of reconciliation. First, letter A, through it we are granted peace with God. In Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, Paul states, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Of God. Peace with God. Now, this is not to be confused with the peace of God. The peace of God uh, is understood to be the confidence and the assurance which, with which we conduct our lives. It is, it is the peace of God that, that causes us and, and enables us to overcome fear and overcome anxiety and overcome grief in all the issues of life. However, this peace with God addresses our relationship to God the Father. While we were still in our sin, we lived in, at enmity, the Bible tells us, with God, being alienated from him by our sinful nature. But now, being one in Christ Jesus, we are reconciled to God, not by our work, but he hath reconciled us unto himself. We are reconciled to God by his work. It is God himself having, having set this work of reconciliation in motion we just read through Gill's notes. It is God that has set this work to foot. I didn't wake up one morning and say, you know what, I think I need to get right with God. I never intended to get right with God. I had, no, I had no desire in my heart as, as in, in my sinful nature to be right with God. I wanted to fill my flesh with all the pleasure I could. And if you'll be honest, so did you. It is God that hath, has set this work in motion. It is God himself who hath forgiven us. It is God himself who hath restored our fellowship with him. And that was done through the work of Christ at Calvary. It is by this that we can be at peace with God. Oh, I'm grieved today by so many haughty Christians and their proud and arrogant attitude that, as if to say that God must answer my prayers. God must give me my desire, the desires of my heart. God owes me nothing. Giving me eternal life was more than I deserved. In fact... I feel like Paul. I was the chief of sinners. If anyone deserved to be in hell, it's me. But God, by his great mercy and by his grace and by his love wherewith he loved me, in eternity past, before 
anything was ever created, God set his heart to save me. What a glorious God we have. But not only do we have peace with God, but secondly, we dwell in the presence of God. In Psalm 140, in verse 13, we read, Surely the righteous shall give thanks unto thy name. The upright shall dwell in thy presence. I am not going to dwell in the presence of God someday. I am in the presence of God now. And the scriptures tell us this. The scripture tells us that we are already in heavenly places. So just think about that now. That's a, that's a sobering thought. We are in his presence right now. At this moment. You know, when I was young, I would never do anything wrong in front of daddy. I was smarter than that. When daddy was around, a halo was over my head. I would say nothing wrong. I would do nothing wrong. But when the cat's away, the mouse will play. And you know, we don't see God as you're sitting here tonight. You don't see God. And you know the old saying, out of sight, out of mind. So we, we go home and turn the TV on and watch things we shouldn't watch. We say things we shouldn't say. We do things we shouldn't do. Thinking no one saw it. And maybe no man saw it. But God saw it. And we did it in his presence. We dwell. I didn't say we will dwell. I said we dwell in the presence of God. Nothing is hidden before God. He sees all things and he knows all things. But what we are talking about here is the constant access to God through Christ Jesus, our Lord. And this is because God hath reconciled us unto himself. And he has forgiven us and he has cleansed us. He has sanctified us. And without the ministry of reconciliation that God has granted us, we would remain at enmity with God. We would remain alienated from him for all eternity. We, we are granted peace with God. We dwell in the presence of God. But thirdly, I want you to see that we receive the promises of God. Second Peter chapter 1 and verse 4, Peter writes, Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these, these promises, ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Now, the list of promises made by God unto his children are too numerous to even attempt to list. However, Peter tells us that they are exceeding great, more precious than all the wealth in the world, more abundant than all the stars of heavens. And in these, in these precious promises, we can have hope. In these promises, we will find joy. In these promises, we have great confidence. In 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 12, Paul states, For the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him 
against that day. Paul said, I have great confidence in God. I know that the promises that he has made unto me, he will keep. For God is not a man that he should lie. God said, my word will not return unto me void. I've said it, I I will bring it to pass. And God has promised us so many things. And we must remember this. By our faith, we have been given repentance toward God. By our faith, we've been given remission of sins. By our, gra- by, by, by our faith, we have been reconciled with God. And then fourthly and lastly tonight, by faith, we have the righteousness of Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 30 and 31, Paul states, But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. We can all agree tonight that we as natural men cannot possibly live in righteousness. Romans 3.10 states, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. And this lack of righteousness is because of our sin. And Romans 3.23 tells us, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Yet, as children of God, we have been declared righteous. In 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 12, we read, for the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous. That's me, that's you. And his ears are open unto their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. James chapter 5 and verse 16. Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that ye may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man, that's you and me, availeth much. Now, lest we begin to think that we are uh, what we can never be, I must stress that the righteousness referred to here is not our righteousness. It is the righteousness of Christ Jesus, our Lord. And how has that righteousness made its way to us? Well, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21, we read, For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin. Jesus never sinned, but God on the cross God made him sin for us. Why? That we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Jesus took upon himself my sin and laid upon me his righteousness. Now in conclusion tonight, allow me to make just a few observations about this righteousness that we have been given. First of all, letter A, this righteousness has been imputed. In Romans 4, 22, we, we read, and therefore it was imputed to him for righteousness. This is referring to Abraham. And Abraham, by his obedience and by his faith, went to a country he had never seen and looked for a city built by God. And that faith... Paul tells us, was imputed unto Abraham for righteousness. Now, to impute means to charge or to credit to. So when we say that we have been imputed with Christ's righteousness, 
we are saying that God has credited the righteousness of Jesus unto us, his children. There's no righteousness in me that is in my flesh. Paul said, for I know that within me that is my flesh dwelleth no good thing. Paul said, to do right is impossible for his flesh. By the nature that has been, by the righteousness of Christ that has been imputed to him, he knows what, what right is, but he cannot find the means to accomplish it in his flesh. He has credited you and I with Christ's righteousness. Therefore, and listen to this carefully, as long as Jesus remains righteous, I also remain righteous. Not by my efforts, not by my works, but by him and through him. But not only is our righteousness imputed, but secondly, I want us to consider that our righteousness is inherited. I want to ask you to turn your Bibles now to the book of Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, just a few more books toward the back of the Bible from, from where we were. In, in, and we're in Ephesians chapter 2. And let's begin at verse 2. Ephesians chapter 2. In verse 2. Well, let's start at verse 1. It's only one more verse. It won't, won't kill us, right? Chapter 2. And you hath he quickened, or made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation, our manner of life, in times past, in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace ye are saved, and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. Notice verse 6, where it states, He hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. He has given us an inheritance. We, we, the Bible tells us that we are joint heirs with Christ. And we have inherited the righteousness of Jesus. We are heirs with Christ and all that Jesus possesses. He shares freely with us. And that includes his righteousness. But not only is this righteousness imputed and inherited, but thirdly and lastly, it is immutable. It is immutable. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6, Paul states, Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. In Romans chapter 11 and verse 29, Paul states, For the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. This righteousness that we have with Christ is immutable. It cannot change. 
it does not fail. From these passages, I can go forth with confidence, knowing that God will not change his mind. He will not take away the grace that he has given me. My righteousness before God does not depend on me. It depends on Christ Jesus, my Lord. Therefore, I can rest in that truth, knowing that I will remain righteous in God's eyes because of and for the sake of Jesus, my Lord and my Savior. However, that knowledge and truth does not give me license to sin. Woe be unto the heart that says, well, because, because of Jesus, I can sin all I want, and it doesn't matter. Anyone who has that opinion dare not trust in his eternal security. We're not under the law today, not the law of Moses. We're under a greater law. We are under the law of grace and truth. And anyone who is truly born again wants to live in the righteousness of Christ. Well, my time for this evening is done. But we will return to this next Wednesday evening when we look at the second part of this, which is the products by our faith. So I pray that you'll be here next Wednesday evening to continue this study. Actually, the best part of this study is Sunday evening, November 4th. Uh, but, you know, you, you don't want to miss the middle part of it either. So you've gotten the start. We'll give you the middle. And then, boy, you, you're really going to enjoy the end. So I hope to see you all those times. All right. Let us pray.